Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. Right now, here's another great people, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you? Great. Love to see the beats and the spuds coming out now, you know. And all the trucks on the road. The trucks on the road. The trucks. But, I, you know, it's just a fun time of the year for me. I, I enjoy seeing the harvest. It's a crisp, very, I don't know, the fall has a different uh, feeling than any other season. It does. And uh, the trees changing colors and oh, everything in the leaves falling down yeah we were up in the mountains here last week and the oh the beauty is it almost too late to go up oh no no there's really? still a lot of green but a lot of the yellow the red i mean is that right yeah beautiful yeah are we going to talk about dr budweiser shebel fluster or whatever nope. uh, although i did get a report from him he and his wife did a bike trip over there in germany just had an amazingly great trip and oh, really? uh, he sent me some details about that and anyway he had a Great trip over there in Germany. Good, good. Anybody else? Uh, no, not not lately. Oh, okay. So today, Zeb, we've talked about a lot about gold rushes. Oh, yeah. We've talked about, uh, and you and everybody is more familiar with the term the 49er. Yeah, right? the football team. No. Oh. <laughs> but have you heard of the 48ers? <laughs> no. No. Okay, well, come back with me here. <laughs> okay. We're going to talk about the 48ers. All right. So, uh, so the question is, well, you know, the influx of gold seekers into California actually began with the discovery of gold, of course, at Sutter's Mill. Right. And that was in 1848. Oh. And... Uh, kind of really reached its peak about 1852. So it was really only about four years, four or five years that the major rush took place. Okay. And, you know, as many as 300,000 people came into the territory during the gold rush. But so how much did the 48ers take out of the riverbeds, the sandbars and the rock? 
and it varied according to man's strength, his ambition, and his luck. At first, nearly everyone could pan from 10 to $15 of gold dust if he worked from dawn to dark. Per day. Per day. That's pretty good. That's really? really good. Now, considering, well, think of this, considering the fact that in San Francisco, prior to the discovery, a cook received maybe 25 to $30 a month. And they're pulling out, you know, 10 to 15 a day. And a clerk made maybe 50 to $60 a month. So 10 to $15 a day, that's really, really good. Yeah. So, yeah. but as in all such strikes, there were the fortunate ones. A guy named John Sullivan, an Irish teamster who'd been earning $5 a day, took out $26,000 from the diggings named after him on the Stanislaus River. A man named Hudson obtained some 20000 in six weeks. Wow. Six weeks. Now, that would be the equivalency of what At today? least ten times, don't you think? Would it be? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he dug that out from a canyon. A boy called Davenport found 77 ounces of pure gold one day and 90 ounces the next day. At a place called Dry Diggings, and Mr. Wilson took $2,000 from under his doorstep. What? His he had a cabin and just I guess was digging around. And he found two thousand dollars worth of gold next to his cabin. I got to ask you a question real quick. And you know all about uh, gold mining, and you know all about theft and thievery of gold mines. What prevented people from coming in and taking part of the claim? Well, we always know there were claim jumpers. Yeah. And there were thieves or robbers. Yeah. But, but what were the, the boundaries that they were supposed to adhere to? At that point, I don't think they were making claims. I think they were just going from uh, stream to stream, river to river. Kind of held or skilled. Yeah, just wherever they could go. Oh. So, you know, there's another story of three Frenchmen who discovered gold when they removed a stump. Out in their yard. I heard about that. They just removed the stump. Yeah. Yeah. And within a week, they dug up $5,000 worth of gold. Wow. So on the Yuba River, uh, a middle fork, one man picked up nearly 30 pounds of gold from a piece of ground less than four feet square. You're kidding. 30 pounds. Now, I don't know what that amounts to in dollars, but it has to be huge. Um there's a guy named Amador. He relates that he saw diggings which yielded $8 to every shovel full of dirt. Wow. Every shovel full. He and a companion with 20 native laborers took out from 7 to 9 pounds of gold a day. A guy named Robert Burney saw miners at a place called Dry Diggings mining from 50 to 100 ounces a day. That's huge. Is this still available or capable today? No. Like I say, it it lasted about four years, oh. and it was done. So we don't have to pack up we and don't, leave. We'll just stay right where we're at. Oh, okay. So there's another guy, uh, a historian, uh, to the gold rush, and here's what he says about this. He said, quote, well-authenticated accounts described many known persons as averaging from one to 200 a day for a long period. Numerous others were said to be earning from five to eight hundred dollars a day. If indeed a man with a pick and pan did not easily gather some thirty or forty dollars worth of dust in a single day, he just moved off to some other place, which he supposed might be richer. Now you'd think if he's making thirty or forty dollars a day, he'd stay where he's at. 
I, you know, well, yeah, looking at the ratio of what expenses were then and compared to now and the profits and everything. Yeah, it is stuck right there. Yeah. But we're going to talk about some of those expenses. So a correspondent of the Californian wrote from dry diggings in the middle of August 1848 that, quote, the earth is taken out of the ravines and is carried in wagons and packed on horses from one to three miles to the water where it is washed. $400 has been an average for a cartload. Instances have occurred here where men have carried the earth on their backs and collected from $800 to $1,500 a day. So they're loading dirt in backpacks and hauling it to where they can wash it in a stream or a river. Can you imagine what you'd think of somebody that would be walking down the road today with a backpack full of dirt? Yeah, hundred pounds of dirt. <laughs> wow, man, this guy. Uh, uh, we got a weirdo yeah, here. Yeah, okay. But there were complications in this golden paradise. Uh, men unaccustomed to the hard physical labor found that working in knee-deep in the icy water all day, this is cold Ice cold water. They must have had arthritis like you can't believe. You know, and then they would fill a pan or an Indian basket with dirt, lowering it into the water, then shaking the pan really, really vigorously to wash out the sand and the clay. And then here again, sleeping at night in the cold and the dampness, eating little more than bacon, sourdough bread, and coffee. Brought they had colds and fevers and pneumonia, dysentery, and then their equipment. And those were the good days. That's, that's when you felt good. <laughs> well, with their rudimentary equipment, they could mine just shallow. They couldn't go deep, deep uh, digging like some of the uh, other gold strikes. Were. Yeah, yeah. So and so when the surface gold was exhausted, they. You know, maybe work there for a few weeks and then move on, uh, looking for fresh deposits. Holy cow! So they when just you say to moved on, that solidifies the point I was making earlier. I mean, it just sounds like everything was helter skelter and nobody really had a claim on right. anything. They just moved around, just wherever they if they were making pretty good, and, but it wasn't what they thought good enough. They just try to find another place. Wow. So now here's what I thought was interesting. Uh, You've heard the time uh, term mine the miners? Yeah. Okay, listen to this. The supplies, which now began to come in over the Indian trails, took their prices not merely from the cost of hauling. Freighters charged $300 to transport three barrels of flour, one barrel of pork, and 200 pounds of small stores, the 50 miles from Sutter's to the diggings. Wow. Now... But also from the belief that men who pick up wealth from the ground should share it with those uh, sacrificing enough to deny themselves this great opportunity. Pans worth 20 cents, you know, a pan for panning, cost 20 cents. Now they're selling them for 8 to $16. A pan? For one pan. (laughs) A 50-cent box of what they call seedless powders cost $24. Every pill, regardless of its value, cost a dollar. Wow. Forty drops of laudanum cost forty dollars. Shirts sold at sixteen dollars a piece, and they probably only normally would cost a what couple of dollars. I don't know, like that. but that's still a good buy. I, yeah. well, who's selling them for sixteen? I'll call him. <laughs> you wish. <laughs> the Reverend Mister Colton, touring the mining area in October, wrote, "Quote." We pay at the rate of $400 a barrel for flour. $400. $400. And how big a barrel is it? Just like a keg, you know. Oh, I see. You know, like a... 
I suppose like a 50 gallon drum. Wow. You know, $4 a pound for poor brown sugar. $4. Poor? Yeah. Four dollars. What, what, what makes up poor brown sugar? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> a four four dollars a pound for what they call indifferent coffee. Indifferent. Indifferent. And as for meat, there is none to get except jerked beef, which is the flesh of the bullock, cut into strings and hung up in the sun to dry. Oh, now, I that tell you what. Sound <laughs> I could go on a real diet. <laughs> yes. Now, as entre- entrepreneurs came into the camps to build little hotels and restaurants, prices went even higher. A breakfast at a place called Coloma, consisting of a box of sardines, <laughs> bread, butter, cheese, and two bottles of ale, cost forty-three dollars. Now, You've got to be kidding me. Now, Zeb, I've had some really good breakfast, but I have never paid $43 for a really good breakfast. I am not about to. So, now, here's how it divided out. By the fall of 1848, those prospectors who were mining an ounce a day, about half of the miners, were spending their ounce for the bare necessities and consequently were working for their keep. So the first half of all the guys working were only making enough to just get by. I see. That was it. Now, another quarter of the people, uh, maybe they had bad luck or they were just slower, found that they could not average the ounce a day necessary to live on. So they had to go to work for someone else so they could afford to eat. Now, now we're down to the last quarter of the all these miners. Mm-hmm. The remaining quarter took out a profit ranging from a few hundred dollars to some pretty good fortunes. And of those, only about 5% actually really became wealthy. 5%? Of the 300,000 miners uh, and wow. prospectors, about 5%. Wow. So... You know, and unfortunately, no one, because everybody was busy finding gold, nobody paid attention to these guys that were exhausted, they were sick, some of them laying sick for months, and a lot of them died uh, because they didn't have any care. The ones who caused the great excitement for the, uh, were those who returned to the towns with a bunch of gold, and then another wave of humanity started for the mines, another rush, because they'd find, say, oh, hey, over here in this other ravine, we found gold, and so all of a sudden, hundreds or maybe thousands would head over to that area. I was just going to say, somebody could start a rumor, and everybody would vacate, oh, yeah. and then you're left there with all the gold that they would have dug. <laughs> well, the trouble is, they came in flashing their gold, oh. showing, hey, look what I got, you know, see yeah. these gold nuggets and stuff like that. So, there was a Dr. John Marsh who organized a company among his neighbors. They loaded pack animals with food and mining equipment. They put on red shirts and boots, which were becoming standard equipment for their, prospectors. Their boots were red, no, too? No, red shirts. Oh. Well, and then it says, and boots. I see. <laughs> I don't think they were red. Okay. Uh, standard equipment for prospectors, and they made their way north to the Yuba River near, and here Dr. Marsh struck a rich bar, taking out $50 of gold an hour from the very beginning. Wow. You work 10 hours, that's $500 a day. Yeah. So. That's like making wages like a, uh, what did you used to do? <laughs> Never mind. Oh. <laughs> Another guy, <laughs> Thomas Larkin, was satisfied with a modest 300% profit on his goods that he sold. 300%. About, well, like I said, a, a pan cost 20 cents. He's selling it for 8 to $16. Uh, Marsh sold beads and sugar to the Indians at the rate of a cup of beads for a cup of gold. Oh, my. 
So the Indians would accept, uh, you know, because they could go find gold just as easy. Yeah. You know, uh, when he ran out of supplies, he ended up by ended up by selling the red shirt off his back to a Native American for three hundred dollars. A shirt. A shirt. But Marsh. No uh, wonder the Indians got mad and went on the warpath. Yeah. So now he's forty nine years old. He was considered too old for this kind of rugged existence. Oh my! He got sick and had to return home. Carrying with him forty thousand dollars in gold for something under six months of work. Wow! A bonanza. You wouldn't mind getting sick and selling the shirt off your back. Really? You'd sell the shirt off your back for forty thousand dollars. Well, three hundred dollars for a shirt. Come <laughs> sure. get my closet. <laughs> yeah, I can help you out here. Well, so until his discovery of gold at Sutter's Mill, James Marshall had little luck or success. Uh, he. He found a sawmill, you know, for Sutter, and getting Sutter to stake him uh, should have established him. uh, But he couldn't find anybody who worked the mill because they were all out hunting for gold. I was going to say, where did they get the labor? Well, that's the problem. So, uh, and the bad thing is, uh, miners were squatting on, on uh, Sutter's land. He couldn't get people to work at the mill. Uh, Sutter had some oxen that ended up uh, being uh, butchered to feed the miners. Uh, you know, things were not going well for Sutter. That didn't sound like N- Nor for this John Marshall, uh, even though he was part of that whole thing. Yeah. He didn't do any good either. He didn't have any luck. But John Sutter, who had no help to run a sawmill, he had a flour mill, a tannery, and a thresh grain, uh, compensated for his losses by opening a store at the fort, which was the main line to the mines. Uh, so renting out space to merchants, he also grub-staked uh, several prospectors on a share-and-share basis. And here's what he said optimistically, quote, There's no need for me to go into the mountains to make my pile of gold. The gold will flow to me. Amen. And exactly, like yeah. I said, uh, the miners, uh, mine the miners. Now, these were the 48ers. 48, but then on into 49, 50, oh. you know. So, so they... Into about 52. When the NFL called, they could use the they term 49ers. They could use 49ers. the term 49er. Okay. I don't know how good they did. Okay. So the widespread rumor that Sutter made, uh, had been made a millionaire by the discovery of gold brought the rest of his past down on him. He had a past. There's a Colonel Stewart, a new Russian consul in San Francisco, arrived at the fort to collect about $31,000 that were owed him by Sutter. A guy named James Douglas, uh, head of the Hudson's Bay Company, came, made uh, a visit to collect $7,000. Another guy came to collect $3,000. Uh, dozens of other creditors came by to collect. Uh, see, the problem was Sutter was a very good man as far as helping other people. Yeah. But not necessarily in keeping the money. So he would exa- he would help some of these immigrants that were down and out. Well, let me ask you a quick question. Where was the money source? I mean, the actual currency source to exchange for the gold and vice versa. Um, you know, I think a lot of it went up into San Francisco eventually where they were able to put it into banks. And at that point, I'm, I'm trying to remember if there was actually like uh, – uh, the gold, the gold pieces, you know, no. the, the different coins. Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure, but you know, Sutter, uh, he kind of went a little crazy. He had a son named August who kind of took over and eventually actually settled all of his father's debts. Really, this son did. 
And uh, anyway, Sutter had a town site that was actually became became known as Sacramento City, and uh, they sold some lots there. And so again, he was able to pay off all of his debts. But uh, Sacramento City uh, went from a tent and lean-to town. Uh, it became a place where. Uh, you know, it was a very uh, became a wealthy area. Sacramento. Yeah. Sacramento yeah. Now it houses politicians. Yeah. All his money could have been paid uh, that he made, uh, paid all of his debts. Uh, so his son was very good about helping yeah. him get out of debt. But, uh, you know, eventually Sutter ended up on a farm. Uh, just kind of living by himself. Uh, he didn't have much. Uh, he did have, he lived without much money. His family did the housework. And uh, basically, the discovery of gold kind of really kind of undone him. Really? But uh, anyway, by the end of 1848, there were some eight to 10,000 miners in the Sierra Nevada. Wow. By the end of the year of 1848, $10 million worth of gold had been dug out of the ground, of which $2 million was shipped east. $2 million was consumed by the miners in food and clothing and medications and drink. Another $1 million was spent in building the 100-odd mining communities, a few of which became permanent towns. Yeah. Uh, but there was a lot of gold that was just... Uh, almost kind of disappeared. But doesn't it make sense that there would still be gold right there? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if and, you know, we have mining going on out here at Black Pine. Yeah. You know, they took a lot of gold out of there. Well, what about in those regions where you're talking about? You know, that's a good question. I don't know if there's still mining going on over there. I see. In that area. but uh, And they're selling pans for $40 a pan. <laughs> probably. Okay. But, uh, you know, a lot of the guys, after they got became very successful, they went back to their homes in Sonoma, San Francisco, San Jose, Santa Cruz. Uh, they invested in ranches, businesses, residential properties, shops, hotels, homes, yeah. and did very, very well. Yeah. So those were the 48ers. The 48ers. That, that turned into the 49ers. And the 50s and the 51ers and the 52ers. That's and by then, it was pretty much <laughs> okay. done. I tell you, that's interesting because I still think you and I could go down to Sutter's and probably start digging. We could start digging, and after a while, you and I would be saying, after about a half an hour, in fact, I'm thinking you're gonna, you and I are going to say, let's go find a good place to eat. You stand in the water, and I'll stay on shore, and you hand it up to me. You direct the affair. Yeah, I'll right? direct the You're going to be the, uh, yeah. There you go. Doctor history. Excellent story. About, I didn't know that. I'd never heard of the 48ers. Yeah. Thank you.